And let's get into the word of God for today. We are in John chapter 6, verses 22 through 58. John chapter 6, verses 22 through 58. I encourage you to get your Bible. We're in the CSB today. And if you're someone who takes notes today, we have some notes for you to take. So we're looking at John's gospel number 13. And we're looking at the title of this message, which is Jesus is the bread of life. Okay. And by way of introduction, how many of you had a really good lunch today? You're very happy about what you had to eat today. Uh, shout out some of the things you got to eat. Just shout it out. Interactive sermon today. What did you, you have to eat today? Churches. Subway, churches, and then she came straight to church. Very good. <laughs> Who else? Starbucks, Starbucks is not lunch. <laughs> it's coffee. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's dessert. Um, my wife and I, we had some Mexican food today. We had a little bit of fajita there. So um, here's the point. Uh, if you're hungry, you can just go any one of these places and say, hmm, I want to eat some sandwich. I want to eat some tacos, whatever. You pick a place and it's there. And what we're going to see today is Jesus talking about him being the bread of life to a people that were not used to having choices. They were used to, there's probably one little market where there's some fish and some bread, and that's all there is. And you have to work really hard to try to get some of that meal for yourself. So if we do a little bit of backtracking. Last week, we were looking at the message about Jesus feeding a multitude. And uh, just shout it out about how many people did Jesus feed in the sermon we looked at last week? 20, about 20,000. Although it says 5,000, which were the men, the head of the family, there was about 20,000 people, children and women. And so we saw that last week, that Jesus did this amazing miracle. He fed them with... How many pieces of material did he have to start? Who remembers that? He had uh, five loaves of bread and two little fish, little sardines. And we talked about that. That was not a fancy meal. That was very basic nutrition for the, the time. Jesus takes that, blesses it, and then multiplies it, showing the world that he is the creator who can make things out of nothing. We also saw last week another miracle. What miracle was that? What else did he do? He walked on water. The creator who the Bible says in Genesis, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Here in John's gospel, we see Jesus walking on the water. And so that's the context. That's where we are today. He's fed this multitude. The multitude still didn't believe in him. They wanted the stuff, but they didn't want him. And so Jesus decides to go with his disciples to another city. They go to a city called Capernaum, which is kind of like a port town. It's by the sea. Uh, something you would uh, compare it to here would be Port Isabel, a little seaside town. And uh, that's where we find ourselves today. So let's go to John chapter 6, verses 22 through 32. I'm excited. We have a good chunk of uh, text to read today. And uh, before we do that, why don't we pray? Lord God, please illuminate the Bible that you wrote. Please speak to us today, Lord. Please help us to clear our mind of all distractions. Help us to be studious individuals, those who take apart the Word of God and uh, really examine it for ourselves. Help us not just to believe what the preacher says, but go and study for ourselves. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the miracles that you did. Help us to receive them and not only believe them, but believe you, that you are who you say you are, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. We ask you for your blessing and your illumination on the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's go to the text there, John 6, 22 through 32. It says this, The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone off alone. 
Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks. So again, doing a bit of a recap there. We saw that Jesus was feeding the people next to this giant uh, piece of uh, this body of water called the Sea of Galilee. And if you remember, how wide was the Sea of Galilee? How, how, long, how, how big did we say it was last week? About, about 33 miles. And I think we had a picture of that, if, if we can backtrack a little bit. This is what the Sea of Galilee looks like today. You can go there um, fishing, go boating. Uh, very, very big, 33 miles. And what do we see here? Jesus gets away from the crowd of people. You would think, this doesn't make sense. Don't you want a big church, Jesus? Don't you want a lot of people, Jesus, following you around? And he leaves them. And it says there that although they saw, they knew that Jesus was not there anymore, nor his disciples were, verse 23, some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread. And 24, when the crowd saw that neither Jesus or his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. So you have this massive crowd of people. Now they're following Jesus again. They really want to be where he is. 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Remember the word rabbi? What does that mean? Teacher. Jesus answered them, Truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs and miracles, but because you ate the loaves of bread and were filled. He tells them, You're looking for me because I fed you. You're not looking for me because you want to worship me as God. You're looking for me because of the stuff I can give you. And that's my first point today. Do we love the gift or do we love the giver? That's a question you need to ask yourself. Do I love the gifts that God gives me? My family, food on the table, gas in my car, clothes on my back, shoes on my feet, scholarship to pay my funds. Do I love that more than I love God? And we'll examine what that looks like in a second. 27. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal of approval on Him. 28. Why don't we read this together? 28. What can we do to perform the works of God? They asked. And Jesus replied altogether, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one He has sent. So we're going to break this down in a second. But we see this amazing interaction. 20,000 people talking to Jesus. Why'd you leave us, Lord? You fed us yesterday. Can't you feed us again today? And Jesus tells them, you're looking for me because I fed you, not because you love me. Now we continue there. 30. What sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? They asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Now for you note-takers, let's break down this passage a little bit. Number one, we see this, persistent people, okay? We see this crowd of 20,000 people that six months' worth of salary wasn't enough to feed them. That wasn't enough money. So Jesus saves them a lot of money by feeding them, okay? Um, let me ask some of you college students, some of you broke college students, which, why am I repeating myself? It's the same thing, right? <laughs> I know what that looks like. I'm a college student. And I, actually, let me backtrack a little bit. I saw BSM. They were giving out some food uh, for college students uh, this or a couple weeks ago. And I was like, well, I'm going to go see what they're doing. I want to see what they're giving, you know, how long it took them to cook it up and stuff. And I go and they're giving out ramen noodles. And I was like, this is, this is food, actually. For a college student, this is a meal. 
And uh, when I went home uh, the next day or the day after, I was craving some ramen noodles. And I just made some for dinner. And I told my wife, quiero una sopita. I want some soup. <laughs> so we see this, this persistent people. That th although they had already been fed by Jesus, they wanted more and more and more. We see number two, this, a truthful testimony. We see Jesus telling them the truth in verse 26, where he tells them, you're looking for me because of the food that I gave you. He knew their hearts. As God knows your heart and my heart, he knows the things that we would ask for. And let me ask you this. Do you have a prayer list or on a notebook or on your notes app or wherever? Do you have written down, these are the things I'm praying for? And out of those things that you're praying for, how many of those things are material things? How many of those things are, I have a nice car, but I would probably like a nicer one. You know, I have this apartment, but I'd rather have a house right now. What are the material things that we ask God for? And how many of those things are not material things? The things that money can't buy. I want peace in my home. I want peace in my heart about who I am, who God made me to be. I'm not married. I want to be happy as a single person right now. I'm married. I don't want to get divorced. Give me peace because we're having a lot of problems. You see, Jesus knew that what they wanted was material things. He was brutally honest. And so he had a truthful testimony. Number three, Jesus here talks about lasting life. He tells him in verse 27, Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life. Let me ask those of you who people love you and bless you and they give you Tupperware fulls of food. Do you even really eat it? Does it stay in the back of the fridge? Kind of forget about it? I have at home right now some carrot cake. And I love Ms. Lopez and I know she potentially could be watching. I have not touched that carrot cake. It's sitting there. I had a piece and then I kind of forgot about it. And what happens to food if you forget about it? It goes bad. You kind of open it. I shouldn't have opened it. Just throw the whole thing away, right? Jesus here says, I can give you food. But eventually this food is going to go bad. He says, work for the things that are for eternal life. Because Jesus did not come to fill your belly. Jesus came to fill heaven with God's people. That was his mission. He loves you. He'll provide for you. But he's far more concerned with getting you into heaven rather than getting food into your belly. There will be times. Did anyone in the Bible ever go hungry? And that was part of God's plan. Anybody? Who were those people? Did Paul ever struggle? Yeah. What happened to Paul? He was shipwrecked. He was thinking, I'm going to go to the next town. Well, actually, he was taken as a prisoner. His, the boat crashes. He's floating in the ocean. And that was God's wonderful plan for his life, to suffer a little bit. So you see, Jesus wants to fill, your, uh, fill heaven. Sometimes he might not fill your belly the way you want. So that's lasting life. We see also this, absolute arrogance. Look at verse 28. They ask Jesus, what can we do to perform the works of God? What are they saying? We want to do miracles. Since you don't want to do it for us, we'll do it ourselves. How can we do this? How do we do the work of God? That's very arrogant because they thought they could earn God's favor. They thought they could earn God's love. Have you ever thought like that? If I can just do this, God will love me a little more. If I can add this to my faith, God will love me a little more. You know what? We're struggling. Let's commit to, to serve at church for a while, and we're going to see God bless us. That's doing something to get something. 
And let me remind you of this. The gospel plus anything ruins everything. The gospel plus I try to be a good person ruins everything. The gospel plus you must speak in tongues, you must be baptized to go to heaven, it ruins everything. The gospel plus something. That's what they were trying to do. Sure, yeah, you're a good teacher, Jesus, but what can we do? Kind of reminds you of that rich young ruler, right? He comes up to Jesus, he says, what can I do to go to heaven? What can you do? What's the answer? Nothing. There's nothing you and I can do to go to heaven. What does Jesus say? This is the work, 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. God wants you simply to believe, to trust in the work of Jesus. We just sang about it, Christ alone. And we get familiar with these hymns. We could change the tune a little bit. We get familiar with them, but I want you to really pay attention to them. In Christ alone. That means in nobody else. That means not in your grandma's faith, not in your parents' faith, not in the faith of your pastor. In Christ alone, my hope is found. And the last thing we see here is demanding disbelief. These crowds, although they had already been filled the first time, they kind of downplay the miracles of Jesus. They say, yeah, that thing was cool of you giving us bread and fish that one time. <clears throat> Our ancestor Moses, he did it for a long time, thousands of years ago. So not good enough, Jesus. Show us more. And I would uh, encourage you not to be that guy, that girl, that's always asking for more and more signs from God before you can believe in him. They demanded more miracles. Now, it's easy to judge these people. I'd be like, yeah, they were terrible, 20,000 people. I would never be like them. But we tend to be like them. And here's four ways in which we can actually love the gift more than the giver. So let's go here for you note takers. Number one, joy in good times, anger in hard times. Are you someone who's joyful only when there's no trials in your life? But then when the trials come, you get angry at God. I served you. I gave 15% of my offering, not just 10, which 10 is not necessarily what you're supposed to give anyways. It's whatever God puts in your heart. I did this for you, God. I brought people to church. Why are you letting me suffer? You see, that's a way that you love the gift more than the giver. Have you ever been angry at God? Have you ever cursed God? Ever since I started going to church, things got really hard. You know, we have Friday night Bible study at 7. Always at 5.30, I'm fighting with my wife or something. I don't know. There's always problems. You see, that's one way in which we love the things God gives us, but not God. And you remember Job in the Bible, his story? In one day, Job lost everything except his wife. And we said this in the morning. She was not a very helpful wife. Instead of encouraging him, Job, we lost our kids, our business, everything. But you know what? We're going to keep our faith. She doesn't do that. What does she say? Job, you fool, you're still worshiping God? Why don't you get up, curse God, and go die somewhere? Not a very good wife. Gentlemen, make sure you pick a woman who loves Jesus. You don't want to hear that on that last day. You fool, curse God and die. But Job didn't say that. Job said, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be God in the good and in the bad times. Number two. What's another way you can love the gift, not the giver? Prayer when you're in need of something 
but neglecting God when you're already satisfied. It reminds me of this. There was a story of a family. They were in a car accident. One of the children almost died, but you know, God had mercy on the child. They, were, they went to church. That's how they came to know about God. And they were praying, please don't let our, our, our child die. The child eventually got up, started speaking again, getting the motor skills back and everything. And as soon as they won the lawsuit against the other person, they left church. They went back to the Roman Catholic system. That's praying when you're in need, but neglecting God when you don't need Him anymore. You know what we would call that in, in, here in our human relationships? We'd call that abusive. But then we do it to God, and it's just, well, it's just God. In the Old Testament, God said this, You build your own houses, but my house is in ruins. He's saying, you take care of yourselves, but you don't take care of me. The things that matter to me. Number three, serving when, you're, when you lack something. Absence when you have enough. Absence in abundance. Remember that story of the ten lepers? Remember what leprosy is? That skin disease where parts of your body would just kind of fall off and you wouldn't even feel it? Horrible disease. Jesus came up to ten of those people, healed all of them. And then they all leave joyfully. Praise God, I got healed. But then the Bible says that how many came back to thank Him? One. Only one out of the ten came back to thank Jesus. And He asks Him, okay, Where's the other nine? What happened to them? But you, my son, your sins are forgiven. Go. Go in peace. You see, have you ever done that? Serve when you're lacking. You know what? I'm going to commit to serve Pastor Manny for, you know, however long. Because in the back of your mind, you're like, yeah, I know God's going to bless me. But then when you have the things that you've been praying for, now you don't have time to serve. Now you don't have energy to serve. Now you have a desire to serve. Now you have a lot of excuses. And I've heard them all. I used to give a lot of excuses back when I was a younger Christian with my pastor. So now that I'm kind of hearing them, I'm like, Pastor Navarro, I'm sorry. I'm learning. and I, I, This is what I put you through. Number four. Another way in which we love the stuff but not God is this. Thinking that this stuff is mine not God's, that it doesn't belong to him, it belongs to me. There's a preacher who said this, that the last thing to get saved is a person's wallet. Like, Lord, have all of me, I surrender, but not my wallet, don't touch it. What does that mean? Some people don't like to give to God. And I'm not saying you don't. We're not a church that preaches on prosperity or finances. God provides for us. You guys are very generous. That's how we're supporting missionaries in Spain. But there's some people who think, this is mine, this is not for God. What do you mean God wants my money? God wants my stuff? God wants my time? I don't want to give it to Him. Forgetting, it belongs to Him. He gave you that job. He gave you the scholarship. He gave you the wife. He gave you the kids. Everything belongs to God. We're just ministers of it. We're stewards. We get to take care of it. One day we've got to give it back to Him. That's how we forget to love the giver. Now, I want you to go with me. It's not up here on the notes, but I want you to go with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 12. Let's go to Luke chapter 12. So again, this crowd is just a very hard-hearted crowd. 
They saw the miracles, but they wanted more evidence, more proof, like it was not enough. But let's go to Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. And for those of you who are quick with your Bible, what does a subtitle say there in your version of the Bible? The parable of the rich fool. What is a parable? It was an illustration that Jesus, it's a story that he would tell to teach a very important truth. And the parable of the rich fool. Now that word fool, we throw it around so casually, right? Especially here in the valley. Hey, what's up fool? Right? We say that all the time. <laughs> right? But in the Bible, the word fool is a very, very strong word. The Bible says you can go to hell for calling someone a fool because it's a sign of hatred. It's a sign of disdain. You don't love someone. You hate them. But here, Jesus is using that word, which must definitely mean something. So Luke chapter 12, 13 through 21. Let's, let's read this little side story here. Someone from the crowd, and I can kind of imagine this 20,000, right? Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What was he saying? Jesus, I need some financial advice. You need to come fix this right now. I know you're busy, kingdom of God and stuff. You need to come settle this little money issue right now. And what does Jesus say? 14, friend, he said to him, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against what? Greed. How would you define greed? Just kind of throw out some answers here. Interactive sermon. How would you define greed in very simple terms? What is greed? <laughs> Lusting for money. What else? Money lover. My friend over here said kodo. We know what kodo means. Stingy, right? You don't want to spend because you just want to have. Any of you got to see DuckTales as a kid? Scrooge McDuck? Am I speaking your language a little bit? No? Okay. <laughs> he says, watch out against greed. Why? I want you to underline this. Because one's life is not is not in the abundance of possessions. Okay? Let me talk to the gentleman here. What are the things that hold value that you value most above everything? When the PlayStation and the Xbox were not on the store shelves, scalpers sold them for $800, made a buck, and then when you finally got one, oh, I'm not letting go of this thing. But you got homework. Xbox. Oh, I finally got this car. It's a really nice car. I, I knew a guy who, when he turned 30, and I'm going to be 30 this year, it's kind of blowing my mind. I don't feel 30 yet. I bet you I'm going to feel it next week. Turns 30, buys himself a Corvette. Really nice Corvette. But then he can't pay it. Now he's in the hole for 30 some thousand dollars. Because his identity was in his stuff, right? Is your identity in your stuff? How do we... No, I would never do that, Pastor Manny. Do you look down on people who use Android? Do you look down on Jesus? <laughs> do you look down on people who use a certain brand of things? Your identity is in your stuff. I mean, an Apple does this on purpose. You got the blue bubble, you got the green bubble. I'm not going to talk to you green bubbles. Get yourself a blue bubble and then we'll talk. It's one of the reasons I have Apple today. I got picked on by my family. Like, oh, he's not part of the iMessage. Well, what do I do? You're going to pay for it? You see, our identity is in our stuff a lot of times. Jesus tells him that's not your identity. 16. And he told him a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. 
he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store all these crops? 18. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. So far, so good, right? This guy seems like a good businessman. It's going well for him. 19. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. And what is the answer from God? But God said to him, say it with me, you fool. I got to teach you how to read the Bible. When you see an exclamation point, you're supposed to exclaim, right? He doesn't say, you fool. You think God's voice is like that? All right, let's, let's practice, church. What does he say to him? You fool. You got to say it like that. An urgency. You fool, this very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And what is he teaching us? Don't be so caught up here in the material things, my friend, that you neglect the spiritual things. This guy was doing good, good business. He had enough to build a bigger barn. And that's not a bad thing in and of itself. But he neglected God. And what did he say in his mind? I'm just going to take it easy. Retirement plan at 25 years old. I'm doing pretty good. God says, you fool. All these things you spent your time working on without giving me glory. Who's are they going to be when you die? Who's going to take it over? Government. This little sidetrack that, that we got off on. Let's go back to John 6. Because I just need to remind you, our heart, mind, soul, and strength must be very concerned with eternal matters. You are an eternal person living in a temporary life here on earth. But you will be eternal in one of two places, heaven or hell. This is just a little 70, 80 years of a pause in your life, basically. You will live forever in heaven or in hell. So worry more about the eternal more than you do about the earthly. Again, don't misunderstand me. It's not bad to plan. It's not bad to invest. It's not bad to make a good business, feed your family, make a living. But if that's all you worry about, the Bible will call you a fool because you're not taking care of eternal things. Now, let's go back to John 6, 33 through 35. This is my second point, the bread of life. And you're going to find all of this in your study guides on Wednesday. encourage you, come to the life group so you can dive deeper. And you life group leaders, I hope you get, you're getting some good notes today. It says this, For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven. Let's pause there. When the Bible uses the word bread there, it's talking about all kinds of food. It's kind of like a, a bucket word. You kind of put all kinds of meaning into it. When it says bread, just think of any food, okay? So any food of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. And what does Jesus answer in 35? I am the bread of life, Jesus told him. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. They are so hard-headed and hard-hearted that they still think he's talking about food, about literal bread. He's trying to tell them a spiritual truth saying, I am the bread of life. And if you consume me, you'll never go hungry. You remember a few weeks ago, Jesus talked to a woman at a well, and he kind of told her something similar. He said, I am the water. I am the spring of life. 
I have eternal water that you'll never get thirsty again. He was trying to illustrate, saying, that's me. I can sustain you for the rest of your life. And now, for your, you note-takers, we have the seven I am statements of Jesus. In John's Gospel, Jesus says the phrase, I am, seven times. And for those of you who study the Old Testament, where does that I am come from? Well, that's the name of God. You want to know God's name? In the time of Exodus, Moses literally asks God, what is your name? People are going to ask me what God I serve. They have all these false gods here. What's your name, God? God says, I am that I am. I am what I am. I am God. So literally, that's God's name, I am. And here, Jesus takes that name of God, applies it to himself, and adds a little metaphor. I am, number one, the bread of life. Number two, I am the light of the world. Number three, I am the sheep's gate. Number four, I am the good shepherd. Number five, I am the resurrection and the life. Number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And number seven, I am the true vine. God gives us, Jesus gives us all these designations of himself, this illustration of who he is. Light of the world because we live in a dark, dark world. Amen? Getting darker. By the day, every single day it's getting darker. Number three, I am the sheep's gate, meaning he's the gate that lets us in or not in. Number four, the good shepherd, meaning he leads us, he guides us. Number five, he's the resurrection, meaning he will give us life. Number six, he's the way to that life and the only way of truth. And number seven, the vine. What is a vine? It's a plant and everything grows from it. So he's saying, I will sustain you. Little image there of the I am statements. And he just gave them one. I'm the bread of life. Now we continue with John 6, 37 through 46. And I'm going to ask for your help to read this because it's kind of lengthy. So we can kind of take turns here. 36, 37, and so on. He says in verse 36, But as I told you, 20,000 that I just fed yesterday, you've seen me, but you do not believe. 37. Isn't that wonderful? That if you belong to Jesus, He will never throw you out on the street. Everyone in your life at some point will fail you. Especially those that you trust. Because they know you the most, they're able to hurt you the most. And I'm not saying be paranoid. I knew it. Men are terrible. Women are terrible. It's just about the boys. It's just about my girls. Stop. Please. Everyone will fail us. The only one who will not fail us is the Lord, who will never throw us out. With everyone else, we're supposed to have patience and grace. I will never cast out the one who comes to me. 38, it says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 39. The will of the Father. Here it is, verse 40 that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. 41. They were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can He now say, I came down from heaven? 43. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, 
and I will raise him up on the last day. So good news, if you belong to Jesus, it's because God, in his infinite knowledge, pulled you to himself. He drew you to himself. When you were not a Christian, maybe you heard a Christian song and it spoke to you a little bit. Then maybe you saw that sign off the highway, tell the kids I love them, God, which is not in the Bible, but I get the sentiment. And then you turn on 96.9 and there was some good preaching on there at night, which there is. And then your friend invited you to church and you came. Then you didn't come for a long time. But then you heard a little clip of a clip of a clip of a sermon about 10 seconds long where it just said simply, God wants to save you. God's just kind of pulling you to himself until you finally said, I believe. What's your story? Every Christian has a testimony, a story of how God saved them. And I would love to hear yours. Everyone needs to have it in their mind so they can share it. But they tell him here, isn't this the son of Joseph, this little carpenter man that we know from Galilee, from Nazareth? He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. 45. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God, he has seen the Father. So we're going to look at this. Have you ever asked yourself, I wonder what God's will is? What is God's will for me? Well, here in this passage, we see two wills of God. And one of them is for us. The other one is for Jesus. He has one will for us, one will for Jesus. So the first thing here, for us. He wants us to believe in the one he has sent. And you say, Pastor Manny, I know that. Give me information about investing, stocks, real estate. God is so concerned with this that he had to write it down. And he said, believe in the one he has sent. God wants you to know Jesus. God wants you to believe in Jesus. Let me tell you what God doesn't want from you. He doesn't want your sacrifice. He doesn't want your hard work. That's not impressive to God. Think of it like this. If there's a criminal who has murdered people and now is in jail, all the community service in the world is not going to make him innocent of having killed that person, right? And so what we try to do, without being God's people before we're Christians, we're like that criminal. God, I did this for you. I donated to this charity. I put the Ukraine flag as my profile and now... Ukraine is free because I did something, I think. And we think we're impressing God. God's not impressed by criminals. So God doesn't want your sacrifice. Keep it. You say, well, I'm going to stop giving because I don't like what they're preaching. Don't give. Keep your money. God wants you. That's what he wants. doesn't want your sacrifice. God wants you. He doesn't want your stuff. He wants you to have faith in Him. That's God's will for you. Well, what about everything else, Pastor Manny? In everything else, He gives you wisdom. And that's something we call life, sanctification. The rest of my life, I'm going to make decisions based on this. Now, what is the second will of God? Well, it's the will for His Son. What does He want His Son to do? Well, He wants Jesus not to lose a single Christian. God wants Jesus my son, don't lose a single one of the ones I'm giving you. 
Do you think Jesus keeps that will? Do you think Jesus does that? He keeps everyone? Oh, absolutely he does. He has never lost a Christian. He never will. He's never lost a believer. He's never lost a son of God. And he never will. And that's great news. Because if it depends on us, we're lost. If it's on him, we're safe. People teach that you can lose your salvation. And that breaks my heart. Because they're, they're condemning people wrongfully. And we cannot lose it because we did not earn it. And as we said a million times, we'll say it a million and one now, God will not lose a Christian. Never. Because that's God's will for Jesus, and Jesus always does God's will. I love this passage because they say, isn't this the carpenter? We don't believe in you. What are you going to teach us? Have you ever wondered what God thinks about those who don't believe him? Let's go to Matthew 11 here on the screen. You don't have to look for it. I have it for you. Here's another passage, parallel gospel passage. Jesus is talking to some of these cities that he's already visited and they denied him. And in Matthew 11, he says this, And you, Capernaum, the city where he's actually in right now, will you be exalted to heaven? No. You will go down to hell, to Hades. What is he saying? You, Capernaum, city of Capernaum, are you going to make it to heaven? Not at all. He says, you're going to Hades. Why does he say that? For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. What is he telling us? Old Testament, cities of Sodom, Gomorrah, and some other cities around there, they lived in such deplorable sin. What was that sin? A lot of things. Idolatry. I mean, breaking all the commandments. Homosexuality. Bestiality. Polyamory. All these sins that God detests. They were enjoying it, reveling in it, celebrating it, having parties for it. And God tells Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm going to destroy you because you don't repent. He takes out His people, as He always does. He protects His people. Not those that chose God, but those that God chooses, like Lot and his family, takes them out. And then he absolutely pulverizes Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you go to that region today, where Sodom and Gomorrah once were, there's nothing. It's desert wasteland. But you can pick up some rocks, and people have done studies on those rocks, and they're made of some sort of sulfur and calcium, meaning there was literally fire raining down from the sky on that place. And God says, Capernaum. It's going to go worse for you because you at least got to see me face to face and you denied me. They're going to hell. You're going to go to hell too, but it, we're going to punish you even more severely because you don't have an excuse. I spoke to you myself and you still denied me. Very hard, hard words there. It will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on judgment day than for you. And one of the things they were saying to deny him, they were saying, you're just a carpenter. And that's the next point here. He's not just a carpenter. Jesus came from heaven. I saw the latest one of these silly books. I went to hell for 23 minutes and I came back. Let me tell you all about it. Sell you a $35 book. Sign up for my teachings, my classes for $300 a month. Let me tell you what hell looks like. One of these charlatans. 
There's another lady who says that Jesus took her up to heaven, had a wedding ceremony with her. Now she's his wife. She came back down to earth, and now she's going to tell us what heaven's really like. A lot of foolishness out there. Jesus is the only one who did not go up to heaven. He came down from heaven because heaven is God's home. Number two, Jesus is more than a carpenter because he did miracles like feeding the 5,000, walking on water. Jesus also forgave sin. Only God can do that. And number four, Jesus raised the dead. Not those who had passed out. No, those who literally were dead, including Lazarus, who was dead for four days, raised him back up. Now we're going to finish this message here with this last section of the Bible, John 6, 47 through 58. And I'm going to ask for your help with this one. And this is the little subtitle there, Eat the Flesh, Drink the Blood. It's going to get a little bit strange, but follow along. Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. Well, pause there. He's saying, yeah, your ancestors ate bread from heaven, but then they died anyways. If God were to answer your biggest, biggest prayer right now, you would have joy. But let me tell you, at the end of the day, you're still going to die. If God gave you exactly what you wanted, you're still going to die someday. This is the bread, 50 that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So now Jesus introduces some very weird concepts. You want to eat some bread? I'm not going to give you bread. I'm going to give you my own body. Like, wait a minute. That's kind of weird. Let's continue. 52. At that, the Jews argued amongst themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, he drives it even further. Truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. Was Jesus promoting cannibalism? Was he promoting becoming a vampire? You remember back in 2012, everybody was a vampire? Couldn't get away from those movies. Terrible, terrible movies. Not because of the vampire stuff, just because it was really bad acting, right? Twilight. I hate Twilight. Oh, but it's so romantic. It's a vampire chewing on a girl's neck. Come on. But they're in love. Okay. I got time. We want to pick on this weekend. <clears throat> Jesus says something bizarre. That's why they don't understand it. And that's what I'm trying to share with you. It's bizarre. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. What are you talking about? He was not promoting cannibalism. Actually, in the early Roman Empire, they thought that Christians were cannibals. Because when they would have their little church services in private, they would talk about eating the flesh, drinking the blood. And someone who was not a Christian would be listening through the door, like, what are these freaks doing? They're eating people? So Romans literally thought that we were cannibals. Somebody's talking about and then you have the Roman Catholic Church, who they take this in a different way, a different weird way. You remember we had the Lord's Supper? Okay, we had the symbol of bread, the symbol of wine, and it's supposed to symbolize again the sacrifice of Jesus. The Roman Catholic Church, in their teachings, in the Catechism, they'll teach that literally the piece of bread becomes a literal piece of Jesus' skin, of His flesh, of His meat. So when the moment that the priest blesses it, it turns into a piece of Jesus, and now you're eating it. 
in a way they're teaching cannibalism. And they say that the goblet, the cup with the wine, in that moment when they blessed it, literally becomes the blood of Jesus. So you're drinking blood in that moment. That's what the Roman Catholic teaches, something called transubstantiation. It's a false teaching. Jesus wasn't telling you to become a cannibal. The illustration he's giving here is, I gave you bread yesterday to eat. It's inside of you. And what, what happens with the food that's inside of you? Digest it, then you expel it. It comes out. He's saying, I don't want to do that. I want you to receive me, but I never go out. I want you to receive me, and I'm inside of you forever. That's what the illustration he's giving here. 56. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Another thing here. In the Old Testament, every time you see an illustration or a miracle or a sign, it's supposed to point you back to Jesus. So when he was feeding them in the desert, that was supposed to point you to Jesus. That one day, God will feed you spiritual food. And let's wrap up with this. Let's read all together verse 58. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus is saying, I can give you food, sure. I want to give you myself instead. And this food will sustain you 60, 70 years. I will sustain you after that eternity. I mean, I love this. Jesus gives hard words to divide people. If he just came here preaching good messages, feel good, everybody would have followed him. He says, no, and as we'll see next week, after this point, a lot of people turned their back on Jesus. They could not accept this. Now let's wrap up in Matthew 11, and we'll be done for today. Matthew 11, 27 through 30. Here's the good news that Jesus is our rest. Let's take turns reading this. It says this, All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal Him. 28. He says, those of you who are exhausted spiritually, fatigued, tired, come to me. I'll give you rest. You see, you can take care of your body all you want. You can go to the gym, take all the vitamins that you want. Te puedes bañar, peinarte. I mean, take care of yourself. At the end of the day, there's that part of you that only God can take care of, which is your soul. Why is it that some of the most beautiful people on the earth... Hollywood, rich people, they're the most miserable because they're painting a dead corpse. And we do the same. But he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. 29, take my yoke and learn from me. Because, and look how God describes himself. Because I am lowly, I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Altogether 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is the burdens of the world? Look good, make money, be successful. And all of us who are trying to do that, we're very tired. We're like, I can't. I can't be successful. I can't fix what I look like. I need more money to fix that surgery. I can't afford it. Let me take out some loans. Let me try to impress my parents. Let me try to do all this. He says, take that burden off yourself. Take on my burden, which is simple. Believe in me. I'll give you rest. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel.
And we thank you for taking away the burdens of this world to give us your burden, which is lighter. Lord, we just want to take off all the things that hold us down. We believe in you. We love you, Lord. We trust you. We ask that you continue to help us keep our eyes on you. That you not let us get distracted by the world and its pleasures, which are fading away anyways. Help us to be totally devoted to you. Completely satisfied with who you are. Help us live out of this new identity. Not as members of this world, citizens of this country or this planet, but as citizens of heaven. Or just passing by in this world, inviting people to come with us. Lord, we ask that you strengthen us this week. I pray for those who have finals and tests. I pray for those that are struggling financially as well. That you provide their needs in ways that we can't. And I pray, God, that these words that we read today, will take them with us. You are the bread of life. You sustain us every day. And we'll never go hungry again. Thank you for your church, Lord. Bless them. Oh, please help our, all of our affections be changed from these temporary things to you. We ask you all of this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Amen.